Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76 where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Large amounts of data are only helpful if you can make it all actionable. My guest today will tell you that as IIoT technology continues to advance, so much of the data being pulled off manufacturing floors is being holed up in the back offices of factories. In our conversation, we'll talk about how to harness this data and put it to use in ways that address some of the biggest challenges facing manufacturers today, especially for workforce training and retention. Arjun Chander has spent his career leading the development and deployment of advanced technologies for manufacturing operations and production. He's the founder and CEO of Industrial ML, an enterprise platform which contains data integration, analytics, navigation, communication, and reporting features to help factories provide real-time information and training to their operations workforce. Arjun implemented supply chain planning and continuous improvement tools across two aerospace businesses at Megat and was director of operations at New Valence Robotics, a VC-funded 3D printing startup. Arjun received his master's in engineering advanced manufacturing from MIT and is a member of the Mithouse Group, which researches production of 3D printed homes at scale for poor economies around the world. Arjun, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Joe. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit, Arjun, before we kind of get into the meat of it here about your journey and what led you to where you are today as founder and CEO of Industrial ML. Absolutely. I started out very interested in mechanical engineering, uh, really from the time I was an undergrad at Caltech. Caltech was a little bit heavier on the design side of mechanical engineering. And then I went to MIT for my master's and the focus in my master's program was much more on the manufacturing side of things. And I realized I had much more of an affinity for operations and data analysis than I did for say mechanical design as it were. So when I, you know, got my master's and went into the workforce, I wanted to work in operations, you know, for the first couple of years of my career, at least. I started out in the aerospace industry at Megat, which is very, very different from what I do right now in that it's a big corporate uh, with all of the trappings that come with that and, and all of the benefits that come with that. I, I worked on a lot of supply chain optimization projects, and a lot of you know production line reorganization type Kaizen projects. To be totally honest, I felt like I was being pigeonholed a little bit too early in my career. And that, you know, in, in retrospect, I think that maybe wasn't a fair assessment of, of the way things are at the time. But I know a lot more about how similar some of those experiences can be across many companies. But it was, you know, what I felt in the moment. And I felt like I, I wanted to move on to a place where I could wear more hats and perhaps work with a group of people that you know had a similar ability to be interested in technological change and, and, and accept technological change. Uh, so 
about seven years ago, I got the opportunity to move back to Boston and work at a 3D printing startup called EnvyBots. At EnvyBots, we pioneered two things in particular. Uh, one was that we, in our 3D printer, made an automated removal mechanism, a blade that came across the print bed, pulled the completed part off of the bed and moved it into a repository so that the next part could start printing right away without a human having to take it off, which made it possible to you know print for 24 to 30 hours consecutively without having to, to need to have somebody there. And, and that played very well in education in particular. And we were just starting to break into manufacturing as a, as a customer source uh, at the time that we got acquired by Cincinnati Incorporated. Uh, the second thing that we pioneered was, was cloud slicing, which is something that you actually see in a lot of 3D printing organizations now. My role there was as director of operations and eventually director of hardware and director of customer support, which is just the way that startups go. That All of that sounds really impressive, but you know we're a small company. <laughs> and, and I loved that part of the experience, the, the wearing multiple hats part of it. But I think I, you know, I also matured over over my couple of years there and learned that a lot of the potential for for infighting is inevitable, no matter the size of your organization. That you know, sometimes you can get pigeonholed, regardless of you know how many hats you are wearing. And you also need to make sure that you are designing a product with an end user in mind who might not have as much knowledge of the technology as you do. And you know, all of those are things that I didn't necessarily internalize when I was at Megit. And you know, it mentally I kind of crossed into it being important to me to build solutions that end users who didn't necessarily think the way that I do could make use of. Uh, so that was something that, you know, based on the knowledge that I'd acquired about the way that manufacturing uh, operates. Combined with that change in perspective, it was kind of that which led me to to the idea that's become industrial ML, where you know I wanted to build a way to better analyze data and bring that to people on the plant floor. With IML, as much as I say that that's that's a journey that led me to there, I, I think my founding team and I still had perhaps the wrong idea at the outset of the company. And it was informed much more by the way that the media talks about industrial IoT and that a lot of our other players in the industry talk about it, which is, hey, data has become really cheap. And all that the, the plant floor needs to become more efficient is to get better insights from the data which machine learning can provide. Uh, and that's not necessarily true. Because first of all, processes whose settings and you know, work instructions are all dictated by decades of engineering work are only going to become so much better if you put machine learning on top of that. There, there, you know, there are certain parts of machine learning that can be very supplementary to those processes. And, you know, we do computer vision, we do audio processing and convert audio to text. And, and those are all things that, you know, we can improve the process of doing those. But really, it's not so much a matter of getting the plant floor better information. It's a matter of making sure that you can get the plant floor any information to begin with, assuming that the information is a baseline level of good. And I think that's that's ultimately the most, the most important part of, of our platform. As of right now, uh, what I would say 
the way I would characterize our platform is we're a data integration and communication system for real time. We gather data from sensors on production floors. We gather data from other software sources like ERP or MES systems. And we also gather video streaming and, and audio from the plant floor from headsets. And you know, we, we do some data analysis and processing in our back end. But I think the most important part of what we do is we have a real-time alert system where mm-hmm. if some of the data that we capture is going out of range, like your furnace temperature is too high, or even, you know, here's where the sophistication comes in. Let's say it's not out of range, but it's trending in, in a dangerous direction. Like your temperature has increased on average by more than five degrees over the past 10 seconds compared to the last two minutes. So like that level of granularity. If we detect something like that, we can send an alert out to a variety of stakeholders simultaneously. So a salesperson could get an email telling them to anticipate a delay and they can contact their customer right away. Mm. An engineer can get a Slack message telling them, hey, you may want to investigate this piece of equipment. It might need maintenance. Mm -hmm. An operator can get a message converted into speech on their headset so they don't have to necessarily lose the ability to use their hands and you know like tell them hey shut this down and make sure that you move these parts of scrap and a manager can you know can get something like that via text message as well and all of them can get that simultaneously in response to the same trigger so that's really valuable obviously in terms of catching things in real time. And, and we also do this with just standard work instructions. So it's helpful in making sure that people are following instructions correctly. But there's a secondary benefit to that, which while it, it seems secondary to, to someone who's you know caught up in the day-to-day of manufacturing, I actually think is even more important for the long-term, which is that it gives people real-time on-the-job training as to what they're supposed to do in certain situations. And, and I guess that's what we're going to be talking about. No, great setup there. So I think one thing I'm hearing from you here, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you mentioned on our last call when we were kind of planning this episode a little bit, you said that you know big data often gets holed up in the back offices of manufacturing facilities. I think what I'm hearing from you is like, yeah, we've got all this great technology. We've got you know software and hardware and things running on machines in factories these days, but all this information is kind of it's finding its way back in the back office and then not getting acted upon in a way, or at least maybe in real time in a way that actually helps put it to use back on the shop floor. It's like getting stuck halfway before it's coming back out and, and being put to use. Is is this kind of the problem you, you see needing to be solved and where you guys are fitting in? I, I think it's the the first part of the problem. Because it is a big thing in a lot of organizations that try to do digital transformation, that they're collecting a bunch of data, but then they're asking their engineers to look at that data, you know, perhaps two or three days later or two or three months later and try to figure out, you know, what's been going on in the factory and and what they would recommend as as a better way to do it. So first of all, you lose all that time when Mm -hmm. an operator could learn that on the fly, and, and we can make adjustments in real time. But second of all, it may be that you're missing certain bits of information that, that isn't being captured by the data. And when you leave the real-time setting, you're going to just forget that those were, those were part of your situation. You know, like, what was the weather that day? 
who was sick that day. You know, all, all of those things do factor into the decisions that you make in the moment when you're trying to improve something. And being able to get that to the people who are supposed to take the actions as soon as as possible to the moment when they need to take them is is very, very helpful. But the second part, it's not just about getting it to the plant floor, but it's helping them understand what they're supposed to do when the error occurs. Yeah. And what's very typical in manufacturing organizations where all that data is, is pooled at the beginning is, you know, you have engineers who are looking at the data and making decisions, and then they have to walk down to the plant floor, maybe hold a meeting with everybody and impart that to them. And that's not necessarily bad, but wouldn't it be great if that engineering knowledge could be put into the information that is sent in real time to operators? Because then you're not just sending data and information to people, you're sending actual knowledge to people in real time. And it's particularly important right now in manufacturing because people are retiring at uh, very accelerated rates because manufacturing is heavily populated by baby boomers and late gen Xers. Now they operated according to a different paradigm. If you had a, if you got into a, a certain company, it was completely normal for you to spend your entire career there. It, it, typically, and Deloitte did a study about this a couple of years ago. Typically, in manufacturing, people who are age fifty and above, it's about ten years is the average tenure in a manufacturing organization. Whereas people aged twenty five to thirty four, it's less than three years. When your paradigms are that different. And you have all these really experienced people retiring and being replaced by people who are going to be higher turnover, inevitably. It's going to be very difficult for you to breed the next generation of experts. And it becomes that much more important not only to capture you know, the, the current experts' know-how in a digital form, but build the infrastructure to get it to the new workers quickly so that they can still operate, even if they don't necessarily have that you know, 20 years worth of ingrained knowledge uh, built in. Yeah, that makes plenty of sense. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of conversations on this show over the last three years about workforce challenges. You know, there's nothing that's that's a bigger problem right now, you know, universally than than that. You know, it's been a lot of a lot of talk about supply chain, a lot of talk about workforce. Um, you know, you were you and I were talking a little bit about this last time that you know the the ways that Manufacturing organizations are typically combating, say, retention challenges, um, are automation, better incentives, better education. And I think where what I've heard you talking about are, you know, you can retain people when you make it easier for them to do their job and and you, you're able to train them properly and empower them to you know do the work and not be confused and know what they're supposed to do. So how do you do you, do you see this being a big part of combating that? labor challenge when you can make it a lot easier for companies to retain their existing people. Absolutely. And uh, I'm not going to, uh, obviously, this is this is what our company does. So yeah. I believe it's the most important thing, but I'm not going to be so conceited as to, as to just say that definitively. <laughs> sure. You know, there are some workforce challenges where automation does make sense. There are, are some things that are so specialized that just offering better incentives to workers so that the same people say makes sense. There are some manufacturing challenges where 
you just like to increase the baseline level of knowledge with which people are coming into the workforce. And, and yes, in that case, better education makes sense. But automation is, is expensive and has a ceiling as far as what you can do. Better incentives are going to be significantly more expensive for an organization. And over time, you're still going to be dwindling the pool of available workers. <laughs> so that doesn't necessarily you know, solve your problems for the next 20 or 30 years. And better education is not necessarily something that can be done purely at a, at a private level that you know, is a more macro level challenge that goes into coordination with governments and public education systems and might not necessarily help a, an individual company solve its challenges today. But making it easier to train people, I think, benefits both the company and the worker. On the worker front, if you have a way to get trained more quickly, then you have a way to build up your skill set more quickly. And you know whether you you love that at the company you're working at and gives you an incentive to stay longer, or whether you want to move on and you just you have a more diverse skill set. That that versatility is is probably the most important component in a modern worker. So you know, being able to acquire new skills quickly is great for, for the workforce. Meantime, for the company, on one hand, yeah, you might be able to retain people longer if you give them a better work experience. But even in the event that there is higher turnover, and you know, 10 years versus three years, if that's the paradigm, inevitably, you're going to have higher turnover. You need to be able to continue to exist while accepting that that is somewhat of a reality. So during the time that your newer workers are there and before they move on, you need to help make them as productive as possible. And the faster you can train them to do that, the less wasted time you're going to have. That's well said. Uh, on the topic of waste, I, I know that you're a big advocate for lean manufacturing rooted in principles of Toyota production system. How does IoT technology, industrial IoT fit in with you know, some of the things you're talking about today? How, how does that fit into lean practices and encourage waste elimination across the board? Uh, well. The, the underlying principle of lean is waste elimination at you know, any particular level of an organization and even outside the context of manufacturing itself. And part of the value of industrial IoT technologies is that you don't necessarily have to track all kinds of information on pen and paper. You don't necessarily have to walk you know, from the office down to the factory or fly from halfway across the world to the, the plant that you're overseeing in order to, to get that transfer of information. And all of that is time that's lost when you have to do it. So that, that capacity that industrial IoT has to both get more data and have much faster communication capability cuts out a lot of that waste that comes from you know every part of the process that has nothing that isn't about necessarily manufacturing like directly right within you know the context of manufacturing directly of, of course if you have something that's you know, tracking the welding current around your welder and you detect that it's a little bit too high and you automatically shut it down fantastic you're you know cutting out $10,000 worth of scrap that you might have generated in the 10 minutes it takes for, for a human to catch that. 
But even outside of that direct context, all of the communication that's required to make an organization work, if you can streamline all of that, I think that essentially is the principle of lean. And it's it's something that wasn't really available to us 20 years ago. And, and now it is. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details. Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice per month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success, and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live, in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high-impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, we'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats, so visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin. Arjun, as you look ahead to kind of the future state of the industrial sector, especially in light of all the emerging industrial IoT technology, how do you foresee the best manufacturing organizations putting some of this to use to train their people differently? Well, I, I see, especially over the next 10 years or so, the, the projection, and this is again from a study that Deloitte did, but but it's been backed up by you know multiple agencies of the US government and the EU. There's an expectation that in the U.S. alone, there are going to be two, a little over 2 million unfilled manufacturing jobs by 2030. It's, it's going to be a similar level of scale in the EU. If you look at India, for instance, they, they've set a goal to try to triple their secondary steel production by 2030, but they don't necessarily have more people to do that. Given all of those challenges where it's just going to be harder to bring in new workforce, you have to make your existing workforce as effective as, as you can. But a lot of companies are already kind of operating at the bare minimum of, of the number of people that they, they can get by with. You can't necessarily... I, I think that there's a perception that manufacturing is going to be shifting to you know, fully automated factories. Uh, obviously, Tesla gained a lot of publicity for attempting to do that a few years ago. And Elon Musk actually backed off from that idea because it, uh, it, it encountered some very obvious challenges with how you resolve errors and how you perform any of the critical thinking tasks in the organization. 
but I don't think that fully automating manufacturing is the direction that people are going to go. I think that at least at the level of existing workforce, people are going to to have to uh, manufacturers are going to have to depend on people to be as efficient as possible. The type of uh, training that the best manufacturing organizations are going to do is not necessarily to just teach people rote skills and then, you know, kind of as a side thing, try to phase them out of the organization. Instead, it's going to be, they're going to accept that people are very important to their operation, but they want to make people more interchangeable so that, you know, when there is turnover, they can slot somebody else in and still be able to perform reasonably well and you know get up to basically about 100% of the same capability within a few months. Whereas on, on the, the people side, I, I think it's important that people are training themselves to be as versatile as possible so that they can fit into various parts of an organization and you know they're not dependent on, on being in that one particular role in order to, to put bread on the table. So Arjun, we've talked here about how manufacturing training needs to become better, cheaper, faster as we look ahead and how workers need to have more versatility in their training. How can the types of technology we've talked about here and these realities of manufacturing training help improve education? Well, yeah, now, now we're going a little bit further back before people get into the companies. I'll, I'll give you two separate answers. One is you know more trade school type education and the other will be for higher education. On the trade school side, I think one of the key elements of making yourself as versatile as possible is that you're not just becoming proficient in in the manufacturing side of things, but you're gaining at least a reasonable level of of technical savvy uh, that you know you can interact with apps and mobile devices and you're comfortable changing phone settings and, and, and things like that. Uh, those are you know things that a lot of people are able to pick up relatively quickly. But it's good to have at least, you know, some some measure of training within education on on that type of technical proficiency, because it'll make it a lot easier for you to to pick up new skills in organizations that are adopting this type of technology as a training tool. Now, on the higher education side, I think this is where academic institutions and say, you know, graduate level students, if they can understand that this is the direction that the manufacturing industry is heading, then part of, say, lean education can be incorporating more of these technologies into the coursework or into the research process. So, for example, our platform can work for manufacturers and, and potentially you know, other institutions that you know, require you know, some, some level of workforce proficiency. But we also could put our platform into the academic space, say, as a backdrop for a graduate level course on lean education. Mm-hmm. And you know, students can, can get exposure to, okay, well, if we're collecting this type of data, how would we build an alert policy so that an operator who's you know, downstream working on this process can get access to the information the most quickly? What's the right way to, to set up equations so that the right triggers are are happening to get that information to the operator. That's that's something that academic institutions don't necessarily teach. They you know they think about lean still kind of more of what it was thirty years ago, where it's you know how do you 
holistically set up a production line for efficiency, but how do you get information to people from point A to point B as quickly as possible? That needs to be a part of the education process. And even outside of the classroom setting, there is a lot more graduate level research right now that's not happening you know, within labs at institutions, but it's happening in collaboration with companies. You know, obviously, my, my background is at MIT, and I know that about a quarter of MIT's funding comes from private industry. And if, say, a graduate student is doing a thesis project with a company, and you know, they can use our platform to inform the type of work that they're doing on the company's behalf, that would also be a better educational experience for them. Because just putting all of that in spreadsheets or on pen and paper is not nearly as effective for the company or for the student's ability to, to gather knowledge. It all makes a lot of sense. It's kind of adapting these traditional lean principles to the, the modern world here and the challenges exactly. that are really facing manufacturing today that we're hearing about constantly. So I like your thought process. Yeah. Well, Arjun, before we wrap this conversation up, I need to ask you about something I read at the beginning of this episode in your bio. I know that alongside everything you're doing with Industrial ML, you're also working on technology for 3D printing homes for the homeless, which is super interesting. Uh, tell us what that's all about. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the the group itself. Essentially, it it began with a very crazy idea that that one of my good friends and, and actually one of my co-founders with Industrial ML, AJ Perez, had which was, hey, you know, can we've been working in the 3D printing space for a number of years. Can this type of technology, if applied at a large scale, be a way to solve homelessness? And it, it seemed like an insane idea in the moment. And plenty of his, uh, his colleagues at MIT told him as much at the time. <laughs> but he stuck with it. And, you know, they've, over the last three years, come up with... Uh, a lot of good proof points that if you are 3D printing plastic to to make homes, that meets a lot of the same standards that are that are traditionally met by only concrete homes. Plastic can be extruded much faster than concrete in a 3D printer, and certainly much more than concrete using traditional methods. And that combination of speed and and much lower cost and much lower water usage. Which, which makes it a more sustainable process and the possibility of printing and recycled plastic, which might make it possible to not have to you know, ship things to remote parts of Africa or remote parts of Asia. All of that means that it could be possible to use 3D printing, not just to you know, make newer homes and you know, better commercial properties, but factor in that cost constraint to make low cost but good quality homes for for all of those regions and a project like that is very ambitious that there are 2 billion either homeless or underhoused people around the world and I, I think that the the ultimate scope and and potential consequence of that type of work is is potentially really groundbreaking the work is still nascent though and aj has done a lot of fantastic work over the last three years and Dave Hart, who's who's the PI of the group, has done a great job of recruiting both some grad students and a lot of undergrads to do very interesting work in that regard. They pitched me very hard on potentially coming back to MIT and spending a good deal of time helping with the group. And one of the things that they talked to me about when 
we had that conversation was I'm very interested in workforce education and training. That, that's something that we talked about a lot on this podcast. One of the one of the elements of of the scope of work like this is great. You have the capacity to to use large scale 3D printing to you know to build homes. But what does that look like in practice? You know, do you want to design micro factories in all these parts of the world? If you do that, can you recruit local workers and, and make this a jobs program as well? And if you do that, how do you train those workers? So kind of the three concepts of potential factory design, workforce education and training, and communication systems to coordinate between engineering operations and like the workers who are doing the manufacturing themselves, all of that fits really well into what my passion is, has been with industrial ML and what I'm likely going to be working in for the next you know, 20 to 30 years. So I, I'm still, you know, I'm working on both of these things simultaneously at the moment, but, but they both fit the same general theme of mm-hmm. me undertaking research into how workforces of the future can thrive in, in a number of different environments. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to, to how our group is going to grow in the next couple of years. If people are interested in learning more about that project and the direction that it's going, and you know what we are considering uh, uh, for funding that going forward you're you're welcome to contact me or find AJ Perez on LinkedIn or Dave Hart on LinkedIn uh, or you can contact either of them at their MIT email addresses ajp2013 at mit.edu and hardt hart at mit.edu beautiful well really interesting stuff I have to keep my eye on how that that develops but I can see the through line between everything that that you're working on and how that fits into it. So thanks for sharing it. Well, Arjun, really great conversation today. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you or they can learn more about Industrial ML? Absolutely. You can learn more about Industrial ML itself by going to industrialml.com. You can also reach me directly at arjun dot c-h-a-n-d-a-r arjun.chandar at industrialml.com or if for whatever reason you you would rather speak to speak about the company more generally just contact info at industrialml.com happy to speak with any of you anytime about where we're going as a company and how you can work with us to get there beautiful arjun thanks for doing this today absolutely thanks for having me joe As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>